Hi there, this is Jim from the Keys Bartender Podcast, a show about Keys life and bartending. And we are coming to you from the Florida Keys. It is right before Memorial Day weekend. We are in the midst of our, what we call typical, our rainy season. And it's just like a lot of different places, but it seems like the Keys have a weird weather patterns here. We had a lot of rain to the north of us and a lot of rain to the south of us. When I say south of us, I mean 10 miles south, uh, 10 miles north. There was flooding and we barely get a drop and it's just inundated. And so it's inexplainable sometimes. The same thing goes for whether it's going to be busy or not. There's speculation I read in... uh, Just certain, it was interesting, the news line on our local newspaper. Expect heavy traffic and crowds Memorial Day weekend. That's similar to saying, expect darkness after 8.30 p.m. Yeah, no shit. I get it. I, yeah, I get it. The the weekend's coming. There's more people down here, and it's a holiday weekend. People are off on Mondays. So... Yeah, well, we actually look forward for that. We we expect that. We like that. Actually, with the rain and things like that, that actually even helps our establishment a lot better. You may have heard that before. I wanted to talk to you about a phenomenon, and it eventually probably be a lion's share of the show, about how technology, I, I spoke the other day about how a POS system will help, helps these establishments run more streamlined, you know, all those things. Well, there is a an establishment that's going to be open in Tavernier. Someone decided that we needed more activities in the Keys, just in case, you know, obviously, like a weekend like this, if you can't go fishing or anything like that, what are you going to do down here? What are you going to do with all that fish? No. Uh, what do you do when it's raining down here? Well, w- this idea was someone was going to, is putting in a bowling alley and uh, axe throwing pit and all these different activities and a bar at in Tavernier at this, uh, I forget the name of it, but Tavernier Plaza. A Tav- Tavernier Town Center is the name of it. And I wanted to talk to you about the bar itself, which is kind of a it's something that you started seeing a couple years ago. If you've been on cruises and things like that, you may have seen this. But I wholeheartedly, I do not, I'm one of those people, uh, I do not fear change. And this will begin just about bar, but we may be going far afield on that. But this particular bar is proposing an automated system for bartending, where it does away with the bartender, where the person goes up and they have a, I think they have some kind of wristband with a chip in it. Oh, I hope to get. I hope you hear the. Um, yeah, you know, if you may have heard that, that we have uh, some thunder in the background. Adds a little nuance to it, but yeah, a self-serve bar. And you're thinking, if you're a bartender, you're like myself. You go, wow, that's interesting. And some people hate that idea when you hear about automated bartenders. Uh, systems where you go up and make your own drink, dispense your own wine, beer. I mean, if you're just doing wine and beer, you really don't need a bartender if you got the right system. And it's not that really hard. 
uh, with the technology we have today. Actually, the technology has been around for years, years and years. I guess it's the workarounds and the things that people might be concerned about. And one of them is, how do you know if you're serving someone who's, first of all, what if they're underage? What if they're intoxicated? Right? And how these... How do you keep it from being uh, work, work around these things? You know, how, if someone gets a band and gives it to like an 18-year-old and the 18-year-olds are drinking out in the open. Well, I'm assured, I'm sure there's pages you can have an attendant, which actually is kind of like having a bartender if you're checking the age, making sure the wristband's uh, on. Because, you know, when a bartender serves someone who they check their ID and they're not intoxicated and they give it to them and they make the decision say I can serve this person nothing stops the person that gets the drink from handing it to someone who is underage or intoxicated I'm sure there's other nuances with this stuff it's always the fear of technology think about it I mean bartending is one of those jobs where some people think it's more actually made movies about it if you think of cocktail and things like that there may be some romanticism behind it or maybe not depending on what you think but if you go and think about it, think of the grocery store with self-checkout and all these other stores Walmart adding that and and all these different places your I'm sure your drugstore it's if you're having if you've been to a store and you haven't seen a self-checkout you don't get out much or you don't have too many stores nearby that's just the thing that's going to happen. It's, I'm not in fear of that. There's always that uh, man versus machine theme that goes on. And people say, well, you know, once the machines get better at something, what's the use? Mankind loses out. Well, you know, machines, and especially when it comes to artificial intelligence, and I'm not debating artificial intelligence, because if you give something a God like uh, intelligence and control, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen there. But we're just talking now about the automated systems. And currently, I'm not afraid of losing that battle to an automated machine, at least the place I work. If I worked at a Dave & Buster's, I might, I might um, start fearing that. You know, eventually they'll probably have like artificial intelligence where they go and so look at it and they see the person and they can tell the, you know, do facial recognition and say, well, this is not the person that we gave this uh, wristband to. They can't go up and get their own drink. And then you see the person, you you may be able to match the kind of drink that's in the cup with um, the wristband they're wearing, you know, to see if someone's underage and they got actually have alcohol in their cup. There's good, probably technology for that eventually, Right. But I'm not afraid of that. And I'm all for, I understand, I understand that, you know, businesses are looking ways to increase the bottom line. And if they can increase the bottom line, then they go in competition for price. And the less uh, attendance you have to have in cashiers and bartenders, the more they can either uh, add to their bottom line and certain places, if, you're, if you believe in competition, Certain places, when they start doing it, they'll start competing for prices. Look at, was it Chili's or Friday's, the $5, $5 appetizers? The 
uh, Olive Garden's endless salads. They're always, you know, eventually at, at certain competitive levels, people, the, there's price wars. And you see the gas stations and different places like that. But man has always seen that as a threat. And it goes back to the 1800s. Think of John Henry. John Henry, the story, the American myth about um, John Henry, who was a railroad worker. And they had a steam hammer going up against John Henry. In the end, what happens? John Henry beats the steam uh, hammer. The I guess it's an engine with a steam hammer on it. I, because it was written in the 1800s, they more described it. Because you don't, and obviously there's probably cartoons about it now. But John Henry used just his own sledgehammer, right, to go and build a tunnel and break rocks. But what happened at the end with John Henry? He died. He died at the end. And, you know, he may have beat the machine, but it eventually killed him. And in modern days, we saw that. In 96, Gary uh, Gasparov, Gasparov, the uh, Russian grandmaster, played Deep Blue IBM supercomputer in chess. And it beat it in 96. There was a rematch in 97. And Deep Blue won. It's just one of the things they get better at that. And same thing like Jeopardy. Jeopardy had it. And they had champions and they played. And eventually the machine will get better because you can improve that. And humans can be improved, but only incrementally. We have to do, we have to wait for the tides of, the slow-moving tides of evolution to improve. Or eventually, maybe, if they do some kind of cyber implant in your head. But there it is. You know, point is, eventually, automation will win. You can fight against it, or you can look how to become accommodating with it. How to accommodate those things. Because look at that place I was telling you about in Tavernier, the bowling alley with the you know planned with the automated uh, bar system. They need to have more security, and the security is going to have to study and see how someone looks when they're intoxicated, and they have to practice on how to talk to people when they're intoxicated and stop them from doing it, and they can actually turn off turn off the wristband. And turn off other people's wristbands if the other person's serving them. The same thing that would happen in a regular bar, right? Except you're going about it a different way. And you've you've always seen these things, especially in the 20th century, about people losing their jobs to automation on the assembly line. I mean, building a house nowadays. How many carpenters did you need to build a house before? If you're going to build something now with nail guns, there's and there's certain automations eventually will come on that definitely did reduce the amount of workers you need. Right? Just breaking up when you jet the jackhammer from the early part of the 20th century. You needed so many guys to break up concrete or break through a hard surface, right? People forget about that. And the same thing goes for buses and and trains. Airliners. They used to have a navigator 
and a co-pilot and a pilot. There were three guys in the front. Now there's only two, a pilot and a co-pilot. Now, eventually, and I know it's really hard, they're not going to have two people there the whole time. They're going to have one. They're going to have one person. I mean, they may say we're going to have two people there and stuff in case the system breaks down and the guy gets sick, but they're going to think of the redundancy they need to have for a system like that. And almost every job in the world is susceptible to being done more efficiently and cheaper than by a person. I said it here on the show, and I'm sure you've thought about it. Think about WebND, where people go in and they give their symptoms. Well, you're giving your symptoms to the doctor. The doctor's doing an interpretation of it. Well, eventually, when you have an artificial intelligence, and you're dealing with that, and you give, and you give the um, artificial intelligence your information, and it does... And they'll say, well, we're going to have to do more tests. And you need people to administer the test maybe, right? Or maybe you could do it you know, yourself. I'm sure there's systems. There's some wealthy billionaires that never have to go to doctors. They probably have little uh, testing modules in their house. When I say testing modules, you know, where they can go and do check their blood pressure, do a scan or, or EKGs. EKGs they sell right now, little portable ones. So eventually doctors... Think about lawyers. Lawyers, you know, for unless right now, unless you're a trial attorney, what could an artificial intelligence say? This is the facts of the case. Could you cite case law to see, you know, you can, an artificial intelligence can just take a survey of case law, issue a port, a report, and then you have a decision-making software to say whoever the plaintiff is and they submit their opposite opposing views, they may come to the inclusion once you have artificial intelligence that we really can't go into with all the facts that are present now and that are accepted. We don't have a case. And the only thing left is the jury of humans. Who's not going to... I mean, that'll probably be the last thing to go. The, you know, people don't want a computer deciding their fate. I mean, it have to because I guess it's ingrained in the Constitution. You're, you know, you have the right to a jury of one's peers. But they didn't say they don't say anything really of whether your attorneys representing you have to be human or judging. And I know. You don't want to hear that probably if you're a lawyer or an attorney, but that's just the, no one thought that driverless cars would ever come come about. They should show them in science fiction. We're we're on the cusp of the driverless car cars and people, you know, that are against driverless cars, right? They'll cite, oh, well, look at all these accidents happening and things like that. And you can say, yep, that is. But you know what happens with driverless cars? They get better. They get better at driving. Humans have not gotten any better at driving. If you have driven on the turnpike in Miami recently, you would have to say, oh my God, oh my God, have there 
is a lower are is human are humans devolving? It's almost as if when people are driving down the road, they're they're cutting across traffic a, a closed highway with no intersections, just off ramps and on ramps. It almost seems as if there's crossroads going on sometimes the way people go across all the lanes. You can almost see the front of the car. So if if you're automatically if your knee jerk reaction is that automation is going to ruin us. It's not necessarily. Think of all the things that we have nowadays that are brought about. I wouldn't say necessarily by automation, but there are automations that, that occur with everyone. It used to be very difficult to set up your own company. Now you have HR software programs. When you hire someone, you can just say, hey, listen, I want to get all your information, put your information in. You can generate, you can generate their uh, checks. You can uh, do all the withdrawals, pay if you're having a cafeteria plan or a health plan. It would do all those things for you. So they're getting rid of the bookkeeper. Getting rid of a bookkeeper. And same thing's going to happen, you know, accountants, doctors, pilots, drivers, soldiers, sentries. And if you saw Robocop, you know, police officers, right? So, and there's going to be the last vestiges on the outside where people say, well, we're going to need, this is the last thing we're going to want to turn over to automation. And there's always a lag time with that. But you know what? They're going to get screwed too. Eventually going to get screwed unless these special interest groups can act and say you can never have an artificial intelligence doing that. But they don't give a shit if it's a bartender. But you try to do that with a doctor, the AMA will come out and say, well, you can't do that. Who's checking? Well, how many bad doctors have there been? How many bad doctors have there been? So, like I said, it's not a big deal, automation. There's going to be bumps. There's going to be some mishaps. But that's progress and that's what's going to happen. I'm sure there was a lot of people, and I do cite this many times, there were many people in 1910 or 1913, 1914, 15, 16, whatever. I'm going to be a Zeppelin pilot. And this doesn't have to do with it. But people never thought that that's the thing. If you want some stability, become a Zeppelin pilot. And then in 1927 or 32 or whatever, when the Hindenburg crashed, people say, well, I don't know if I want to take the Zeppelin anymore. You know, you can get the you get to cross the oceans at fifty miles an hour, just slightly faster than the fastest cruise ship. Not slightly faster, maybe 60 percent faster than the fastest cruise ship. You know, um, or may, maybe even hundred percent faster. Who knows? Twenty five knots versus sixty knots. But if you someone smoking a cigarette near uh, the inside balloons. The whole thing can blow up. Yeah, try to tell someone like this. And so, okay, listen, I'll take the plane then. Because if the plane goes down, whatever. Let's move on. I wanted to talk about coolness and nerdiness. And who's the harbinger or who declares? And you know who declares coolness? Society at large. 
always do that. You know, whatever suave, whatever in style, what's cool, what's out, what's in. Whether in the 90s it was the fanny pack, uh, dad jeans or mom jeans, New Balance sneakers, that was not too cool. But then you have the Kardashians come about and they're supposed to be in style. You have certain pop stars, uh, athletes, their sneakers. You know, at one, at one point when designer sneakers came around, Chuck Taylor's Chucks, the sneakers, were what everyone had when they went to gym class. And that's what you wore as sneakers. You had Converse and they were the cool sneakers, Converse. You got high, high tops and low tops. And that was it. And then it came out with the running shoe. And then you had different running shoes. And Chucks weren't cool for a while. And then what happened? They got cool again. They got cool again last couple of years uh, or 10 years ago. When my, or whenever my daughter, what was it, five years ago, she's walking around with Chucks. That's what you call Chuck Taylors. And think of the nerds that were cool. I mean, I, I wrote down some of the names. You know, you have some of the science, Bill Nye, the science guy. You got musician Elvis Costello. You know, he had his thick glasses, kind of a nerdy musician, but he was cool in the, in the 80s. Pee Wee Herman. Now, that's the pre-being caught in a porn theater, masturbating in public. He was George Will. Will was, uh, you know, glasses, bow tie. In, uh, he was a commentator. For, I think it was ABC News. You have Sheldon from Third Rock from the Sun. You know, you, I mean, whoever. And you, we decide that these people are cool. That's the Revenge of the Nerds. The movie Revenge of the Nerds was a movie about people that were outcast that became the cool ones. And the cool ones became the outcast. When the nerds rose up, and defeated the jocks. So it's all arbitrary what we decide. We have these people that decide what's in style, what's out of style. I remember in the 90s, I really enjoyed. Now this is going to, you know, okay, I'm going to admit it. I like the fanny pack. I love the fanny pack. I love the idea of it. Guys love pockets. That's why you have cargo shorts. You like that. Anytime you do it. A, a fanny pack is like a utility belt. And they still sell that stuff. They don't sell utility belts. They try to make, well, they do sell utility belts, but I'm just saying they call, don't call them fanny packs anymore. They redesigned them. And you see them, it's all military grade and stuff like that. And you see, mil- you, know, you got good military pants and you got, you know, the, the harnesses and all this stuff. You want to hang stuff on. That's just, guys don't want to. A bunch of bags. Guys, women are about the handbags, which I don't really understand. It's really ergonomically not good for you to have the big handbag because it's really bad on your your back. Because you're unless you got it evenly distributed, you got you're gonna be off balance a little. I'm leaning over to the left because if I was carrying a handbag, that'd be the one I'd be carrying on the left, not the right, because I'm left-handed. So, yeah, the, uh, the fanny pack. I used to love going up. I, when I was trying to quit smoking, I would use backpacks and we used to, you know, I would put water in it and then we would I'd use, put my phone in the 
fanny pack so I had a- access to it. I didn't have to go into the backpack. I was all about that shit. I loved it. And then it became uncool. And what did I not use? The fanny pack. The sweater vest. The sweater vest wasn't... I liked it in the 90s. It came, it came back shortly in the, in the 90s, a sweater vest. You could wear a, sh- a shirt with a tie and a sweater vest. It was all right. And then wasn't all right. In the 80s, if we go back to the 80s, the Bolero jacket. The Bolero jacket. Oh, my God. That was that was cool for one summer. I got one of these. I spent an inordinate amount of money in the 80s. Like 300 bucks. That's like spending 900 bucks nowadays. Easy. Maybe more. Maybe more. Maybe 1000 bucks for a suit. And I'm not a $1,000 suit guy. Someday, I might. Someday, I might. I think the, you know, I think that ship may be sailing eventually because I'm almost 60. I don't think that, well, if my ship comes in, boy, that's one of those things. But I just think it's amazing that at some point, being uncool becomes so against the grain, it's becomes cool and stylish. Now, I'm not talking about like where you're really going against the grain and doing things. You know, people say, hey, that's uncool, that behavior and stuff like that. I'm talking stylish versus unstylish. Think of Zoolander with Derelict Collection with Will Ferrell was going to hire Ben Stiller to dress like a guy who's kind of a haute fashion, high fashion, with homeless combination, like refuse from a, and it's kind of it was kind of cool. Actually, when someone does something and they incorporate something, I remember a while back, like when in the '90s, where girls started wearing glasses, fake glasses, meaning fake glasses with just plain glass in it. And he just wanted to look smarter. You know, just one of those things. Kind of look a little nerdy in order to be cool. So they hijacked that. So what's more nerdy than dressing up like someone else in order to incorporate some air of coolness you attributed to them? Or, Or is the person that doesn't give a shit that, you know does get their clothes somewhat together, has a style, may not be in style, but just goes against the trends. I think the person that goes against the trends is a little cooler. And that's what fashion is about. It's always changing. Finally, I wanted to end up with today. Um, my sister and I, if you're an avid listener or a regular listener, you know I talk to her regularly. I love my sister. I love talking to her and stuff like that. And if you ever are in proximity, the two of us, you'll hear her exclaim, we're Irish twins. We're Irish twins. You know, because of our being born a year apart. And uh, so we got that. But in our discussions, sometimes, and I'm not going to talk about the differences necessarily, because it's, and I do talk about it, but I'm not going to talk the values of it. In her worldview, she she gets her 
uh, news and source materials from different places than I do. And she just has a different worldview than I have. And the biggest issues in her worldview may be something like uh, they're, they're definitely not climate change, gun violence, and intolerance. Hers are wokeness, socialism, and immigration. And maybe, um, yeah, socialism or, you know, the failure. A big one from her group is uh, doomsday prepping, kind of doomsday prepping. And it's always something to do. When you get doomsday preppers, the the people that buy the dried food and the water and they got – and if they sell it on that channel, if if you see a lot of commercials for like dried food and how you need it in case society falls apart. Because eventually, you know, you can have six months supply of food. But unless you're going to get like the things you need for rebuilding society, you know, six months later, you're going to be pretty much looking at your dog as the next meal. I hate to say that, but that's true. Or the dog's going to be looking at you as the next meal. But so out of the blue, we're having our discussion. And I may have said it and it sounded like I'm making fun of her points of view and stuff like that. But that's just it is. You know, you know what her points of view is. And, you know, she's going to be working with me on the podcast. She just finished uh, not necessarily on the podcast. We're still having discussions about that because I didn't want to be the he said, she said, uh, he said, she said thing. But we may do that stuff uh, from out of the blue. She started talking about ham radios and satellite phone. Well, she mentioned ha- ham radios. And then CBs. And then I thought, oh, well, this is odd. And for some strange reason, I thought she was trying to expect me to say, um, come to the conclusion and say, oh, instead of doing a podcast on the Internet, why not on ham radios for ham radio operators? And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, this is DX7464, you know, whatever. And you do your call signs and stuff like that. This is the ham radio show by... Jim, the Keys bartender, for all you listeners, all you two listeners around the world that know my call sign are on the same channel at this time, same frequency. So, yeah, I guess I'd have to do it very intensively, maybe like two minute shows, uh, about seven hours a day in order to get to, uh, you know, a couple thousand listeners. Because then I'd have to go through each channel and stuff like that and just go through the introductions. Go, okay, I'm going to turn it to the next dial. And they go, this is DX7, G15. Do that. But no, no, she was talking about the collapse of uh, cell phone communications and our infrastructure here in the United States. And I go, oh, well, that's interesting, out of the blue. And I just, and I know she listens to the podcast. Stuff like that. And she says, yeah, satellite phone. I'm going to get myself a satellite phone. And I said, well, if you listen to the, the, the ones I listen to, and I go, you know, conspiracies do happen. And they, there are grains of truth in it. And there are possibilities. They, if there's possibilities it could happen, it is. It's like I saw a meme that says, you know, no one, uh, you have a very slow chance of being killed by your... Um, your Australian uh, Australian Shepherd. Very, very low chance of being killed. But it's not zero. <laughs> you know? So 
that's not a zero chance. So, yes, whenever there's a possibility, it's still a possibility. Is it a likelihood? Maybe not. Maybe there's other things you have to be concerned about, right? You got to think about what's more likely to happen. And some people that bet against the apocalypse, the zombie apocalypse, or the failure of the government and stuff like that, there is a possibility. Some are greater and some are less. But the satellite phone, I said, well, you get, you may have some incomplete information. You're saying the satellite phones. What do satellite phones work on? The satellite. Now, I can give you a little thing about something that very likely will happen in time, in our time. That's a very good chance of happening because of the physics of it. And it's called, and I mentioned this years ago, it's called the Kessler effect. And Kessler was a scientist. And he says, as in low Earth, Earth orbit... As more satellites gather, it raises the, uh, are launched. It raises the possibility of a collision of satellites. And the more crowded the low Earth, Earth orbits or orbital uh, uh, paths become, is a greater like, likelihood of collisions occurring. And a Kessler effect is when the collision occurs on a satellite large enough that it sends debris in an orbital path that would take out all the other satellites and just start a cascading of satellites you know, running into each other and putting more debris, more debris, more debris, destroying all those satellites and effectively barring space from humans. And they say, what? What do you mean barring space? Well, you have all this debris in low Earth orbit, and it's still high up there. That debris is a barrier to any launch you would have. Because you got to think, how fast is the debris traveling? It's traveling a couple thousand. If it's, if it's orbiting the Earth, it's traveling a couple thousand miles an hour. And... Um, Rockets that would try to go through that orbital field could be, or you know, any launch of satellites or rockets or stuff could be um, blocked or blown up or destroyed trying to go through it. And most likely would, adding to uh, more debris. So the Kessler effect is definitely more likely to happen than all the infrastructure going down at one time. Unless, let's say, a solar flare comes and fries all the electricity on Earth. Now, if a solar flare does that, where fries, let's say, let's say a solar flare does it and fries, you know, breaks off a huge solar flare. And whatever it does, it fries all the electrons. That could happen. Or if the Earth's magnetic field reverses, which it does from time to time. When I say time to time, it's in like tens of thousands of years. But if it happens, the magnetic field switches, the pole switch, that would mean for a brief time, there's no protection to the, um, the energy waves that surround the Earth that's protected by the Earth's magnetic field as a protection against those hormonal rays that allowed the rise of life on Earth. So that would hinder that too. So there's lots of things that could happen. Should you prepare for it? It's like a gamble. Um, On one show, someone said, um, if you're given a million to one odds, take them. 
you know, a $10 bet on million to one odds, no matter the likelihood and stuff like that, you know, eventually, if it does come in, like if Lady Gaga becomes president, I'm getting $100 million. Yeah. So that's pretty much what all I have to say today. And Peggy, I'm sorry if you're pissed off. I just need to talk about that. Just in case uh, you wanted to respond, you probably will respond now. I'll probably hear, hear about it for 45 minutes. Well, this is Jim, the Keys bartender. I'll be back. Have a great day and a safe Memorial Day weekend. Talk to you later. Bye.